When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. On this episode, a longtime investigator of unsolved mysteries discusses the behavior and language of Bigfoot. They have the ability to do what we would normally call telepathy, but they call it mind speak in the Bigfoot circles. And so that's the preferred way that they like to communicate. If you enjoy Conspiracy Unlimited, why not become a Conspiracy Unlimited Plus member? For just $1.99 per month, you'll gain access to two bonus, exclusive commercial-free episodes per month, plus access to my back catalog of episodes. That's over 350 episodes. To subscribe, just go to ConspiracyUnlimitedPodcast.com and click on Gain Access to Premium Episodes. Again, Go to ConspiracyUnlimitedPodcast.com and click on Get Access to Premium Episodes or click on the link in the episode notes. Conspiracy Unlimited Plus for less than $2 per month. Why not sign up today? Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serres. Pursuing the truth wherever it leads. Exposing evil and corruption and the secret machinations of powerful elites. Revealing the high strangeness beneath the surface of our supposed reality. Coming to you from his studio beneath the stairs, here's Richard Serrett. Welcome to your Friday. Researcher, author Mary Joyce is here to discuss her new book, Bigfoot, Beyond the Footprints. Before that, I have a number of things to fill you in on. Let's start with Coast to Coast AM. I'm going to be hosting tomorrow, Saturday, May the 9th, and then Sunday, May 10th, and then again on Sunday, May 31st. And next Thursday, that's May 14th, all of the guest hosts, myself, George Knapp, Ian Punnett, Jimmy Church, Lisa Garr, Connie Willis, will all be joining George Norrie for one segment each. That's Thursday, May the 14th. So I'll be with George from 11.30 to 12 a.m. Pacific. 11.30 p.m. to 12 a.m. Pacific. Go to coasttocoastam.com for more information. You can also visit my events and appearances page at strangeplanet.ca. And speaking of the website, strangeplanet.ca, I've completely overhauled it and redesigned the website, strangeplanet.ca. It's so much easier to navigate. I think it looks absolutely fantastic. Everything is pretty much on one page. You just scroll down, strangeplanet.ca. And don't forget, while you're there, to register for my free monthly newsletter, Inner Sanctum. We hear so much about Bigfoot sightings, what they look like, attempts to identify their DNA from hair samples, etc. And Bigfoot trackers are forever making plaster casts of their footprints. But we don't 
hear so much about their behaviors, their family and social life, and their language. We'll be talking about precisely those things on this episode. Mary Joyce is the founder of SkyshipsOverCashiers.com and her brand new book is Bigfoot Beyond the Footprints. Mary Joyce, welcome back to Conspiracy Unlimited. How are you? I'm fine. It's always good to hear from you. I want to talk about your new book, brand new book, Bigfoot Beyond the Footprints. And this focuses more on the human side of Bigfoot, less on the, well, less on the footprints and more on their social organization and so forth. Tell me about it. Well, I got sick and tired of just reading about Bigfoot footprints and Bigfoot uh, whacking a, a branch on a tree and making howls and throwing stones at people. And over the years, um, actually since 2010, we have done a lot of stories on Bigfoot, and I think we're well past 70. And there was so much information that I found, and it was presenting a total different side to Bigfoot than anything that we're seeing in most of the publications. They have families. They have made friends with some people, though they're very selective in who they want to be friendly with. They've helped and even rescued people in trouble. They have preferences. They have language. They have unique biology. Uh, there's just a lot more to them to, than, you know, what people think. What about in North Carolina? Are there a lot of Bigfoot sightings? Uh, not a lot compared to uh, the Rocky Mountains in the West. But yes, we do have them, and I live here in the mountains of western North Carolina, uh, so I've been able to investigate some cases and uh, been to a Bigfoot cave and seen the prints and heard them make their calls, and uh, um, so I've seen a lot of things firsthand that I wouldn't be able to do if I lived in Flatland. How are they organized? Are there multiple families that live together, or are they more solitary? Everything that I have personally come across with is that they have family units and that's what you usually see. It's typically uh, a male, a female, and I've never heard of more than two kids at a time. Um, then there's evidence that they have a, um, a, like a clan type thing, but they don't come together in large groups in any noticeable way. Uh, four is the most that uh, any of us have been aware of at one time. So there's indications there's more within a, a certain area. And how long do the young typically stay with their parents? I honestly do not know that answer. Um, the Bigfoot apparently lived to be, you know, much older than we humans. And uh, the, the kids are with them from a very small size. And you also see families where they look like they're adolescents or teenagers. Uh, so they, they have an extended family life um, uh, over many years. And are they territorial? Well, not in the sense that dogs go and pee on trees and mark their territory, but they live in regions. And um, I don't know if that is an answer to your question. Well, for example, will they defend their territory from other Bigfoot intruders? I don't know. I'm not aware of like clans of Bigfoot competing with each other. We've never seen any evidence of that. Um, if, if we humans get too close, they will, in most cases, try to scare us away. And they will do that by making their sounds or by throwing stones, not at you directly, but around you. Um, and they'll make their howls and they'll give off an odor, uh, all just trying to keep you away from where they spend most of their time. Um, but we have had, men, we have not had reports of people being attacked by it. 
Uh, however, at the very end of my book, I do include two stories where they have gotten violent. And in both cases, uh, it involves hunters with guns who are trying to shoot them. And if somebody was trying to shoot me, I probably would not react well either. What else have you learned about family life with Bigfoot? Um, let me tell you what I think is a really cute story. There is a gal who lives in South Carolina who has had uh, the ability to communicate with Bigfoot since she was a child. She is so good at it that she was invited to Siberia, uh, and that's a whole other story if you're interested in it, but because of her expertise. And she had a pony, and the pony would always get out. It would jump over the fence. It would bust the fence down. And so she finally resorted to getting a 250-foot-long boat rope and every night she would tie it up, go to bed, and in the morning, the um, pony wouldn't be there. And it would be tied to trees in the woods, someplace in the woods around her house, always different places. And as the story continues, um, the water bucket and the feed bucket would be dragged out into the woods where the pony was. And uh, then she noticed that there were like muddy handprints on the pony. And what made the story really cute was that they, she would find muddy little butt prints on the pony. So clearly, the Bigfoot were taking their little little ones for rides on the pony. That's remarkable. It sounds so human. Let's talk about the language. You mentioned uh, communication and language. I interviewed a gentleman from British Columbia. I believe his name was Brian Bland, who believed that Bigfoot were communicating with him using glyphs that were created out of twigs and branches sort of bent into symbols and shapes. Do you know anything about these glyphs uh, and, and what, how else are they communicating? Okay, I would regard that as like teaching um, preschoolers the, the essence or the essential beginning of language. Like we see symbols and they learn the letters um, in first grade. Um, communication can go way beyond that. They have the ability to uh, do what we would normally call telepathy, uh, but they call it mind speak in the Bigfoot circles. And so that's the preferred way that they like to communicate. Um, but they have a language all of their own. And you may be familiar with a man named Scott Nelson. He had 30 years um, experience as a linguistic cryptologist for the Navy. And so he was very familiar with figuring out codes and stuff in multiple languages. And he was able to get a recording of the Bigfoot. And in order to figure out their language, he had to slow it down. And when he could, when he would slow it down, they could actually, or he could actually uh, hear different um, languages woven into the Bigfoot language. Um, and some of it gets kind of, um, again, humorous. Um, let's see if I can remember what some of it was. There was one where uh, there was a, a male and a female Bigfoot, and they seemed to be having a discussion like a marital couple. couple. And the female says, are you talking to them? And the male says in very slow language, no, I won't. It was like um, she was telling him to keep his mouth shut and not talk to the humans. Uh, but he, you know, I, I found that kind of interesting. But they've been able to find pieces of language um, from different languages, uh, some in Japanese. In fact, uh, I don't have it off the top of my head, but in my book, I give the connection where somebody can 
um, actually listen to a tape recording of the Bigfoot, and it truly sounds like samurai warrior, like a samurai warrior talking, and there's just no doubt about it. And this uh, particular man, Scott Nelson, had people that were familiar with other languages uh, who were able to identify some of this. So they pick up our languages to some extent, but it's said so fast that we can't really understand it unless the tape is slowed down. So how do you explain that? I don't know, are they mimicking the language or are they learning the language? How, how does that come about? I think they're picking up and actually learning the significance of at least some of the things we say. For example, one was caught saying, and I, it, it, I'm going to say it the, uh, phonetically, me, what, food, plen, food, which sounds like, I, like he wants food and he wants plenty of food. Me, what, food, plen, food. And that clearly sounds like English to me. Kind of a pigeon type of English, but nevertheless English. So, yeah, I think they... Um, uh, I think they uh, get real close to like campgrounds. Uh, many of them seem to be drawn to uh, people who are singing around campgrounds. Uh, they seem to like the music. Um, I know that when we uh, set up our first site where we wanted to put food out and we did a bunch of food experiments, um, playing a, a flute, uh, one of the wooden flutes, uh, was a way to get their attention and their curiosity. So we conducted... Um, what I call a food experiment for a while, just to see what they like, what they didn't like. And uh, that proved to be very interesting also. Tell me a little bit more about that food experiment. What were your findings? Um, actually, in the book, I have pictures of about a, maybe a dozen different kinds of uh, vegetables and fruits that were put out for them. And I turn it into a quiz with the answers on another page. But I will tell you this, they absolutely love apples. Um, but beyond testing them to see what they like to eat and what they don't like to eat. And when they don't like to eat something, they will try it and spit it out. So that gives you a pretty clear indication they don't like it. We also experimented with the kinds of containers we put the food in. And anything with a handle on it, like a, one of the things was a, a cooler for like a six-pack of beer. And they would tip it over, but they wouldn't put their hands in it. We put a basket out with the handle. Same thing, it would, they would tip it over, but they wouldn't put their hands in it. We did put out a basket without a handle, and they actually picked that up and took it, and it was found you know, down through one of the mountain laurel paths um, after they'd eaten all the food and they left the basket behind. But they must have some kind of bad experience where they've gotten their hand trapped in something. So uh, um, we found that an interesting piece of behavior, really. Did they leave anything behind, particularly DNA? Um, one, we, all right, this is where I, I kind of failed. Uh, the most, yeah, we got a hair sample, a very good hair sample, and we sent it off to a lab, and you have to know a little bit about Bigfoot DNA to fully appreciate this. The Bigfoot is um, half, it's, the maternal side is human, the paternal side is some unknown um, primate that nobody has any record of. So in order to get proof that somebody is a Bigfoot, you have to have the paternal DNA, which only comes from nuclear DNA. Now, we sent off a hair sample. Our hair sample did not include any of the, um, what do you call it, the very base of the, of the hair 
follicle. Uh, and so they couldn't get any of the nuclear DNA. So it just came back as human. So I learned from an expensive experiment that that you better make sure you've got the uh, nuclear DNA before you send off anything. Did you have any sightings or any communication? Why don't I tell you about the most involved story we've ever had with the Bigfoot? And it actually happened in 20, just about five years ago, exactly. And to get to this place, you have to go between two mountain ridges, that, and there's a single lane road that follows a creek. When you get to the end of it, it opens up. There's two houses, a barn, and a pond. And the the woman who owns the land, she uh, had known that there were things in the forest or in the land around her, and she never had any trouble until one day they decided to fix the dam that was creating the pond. And somebody was out there with a jackhammer. They went right through and busted a hole out, and all the water in the pond drained into this hole. After that, they had nothing but trouble with the Bigfoot. In hindsight, what had happened was they had flooded the cave the Bigfoot were living in, and they were pissed. And they started off by messing with the people's vehicles. And uh, they would have handprints and stuff all over the car, and they finally figured out how to get in there. They got in, I believe they turned on the motor, but it you know, didn't go anywhere. Uh, they had their handprints all over the inside of the, the car. Uh, as things continued, as the, the woman, uh, Samantha, said, uh, they kept upping their game. So the next thing is that they started uh, trying to figure out how to get into the little house. And we have pictures of this in the book. I've got uh, the handprints all over the door where they're trying to get in. Um, some of it, again, is kind of humorous. Uh, she went to town one day. She left the dryer running. And when she came home, there were uh, handprints all over the dryer. They apparently had been seen the clothes spinning through the glass door. And that caught their attention. Um, they upped their game again and uh, moved into the big house. And that's where we really got some interesting things that happened. Uh, they didn't mess with the downstairs so much, but they did upstairs where the bedrooms were. And this is where we really began to uh, see evidence that there were young Bigfoot, not just adults, because they started um, using markers uh, from uh, the student, their children's rooms, and the kids were older. Um, and they started drawing on the wall. It was all drawings beneath the light switch, which would indicate it, you know, it's not a likely position a big, big foot would be in to do drawings on the wall. So I've included pictures of what they did, um, you know, with their wall art. They went into the bathroom. Um, they squeezed out the toothpaste. They uh, uh, messed with everything. They tore apart the toilet, and um, everybody was very, very happy that uh, they didn't know what the toilet was for. Um, I've got pictures of that. I've got pictures of the claw marks. Um, they had reached under a locked door uh, to the teenager's room, and um, you can see these real deep gouges. They like reached under and tried to pull the door open. Uh, the family did move out um, out of fear, and the day that I met with Samantha and uh, two other people were with me, we were sitting on our porch hearing all the details of her story after we'd had a tour. 
And she was reflecting, and, and it was at that point she realized, or she expressed out loud, that um, she felt like when the jackhammer accident had happened, that that's when it all started. And she was really apologizing. She, you know, she was like saying out loud she would she would never have, you know, intentionally done that to him. Um, that's where it becomes even more interesting because it's like they heard what she had to say in some way or another, because they ended up making a little, um, almost like a basket made out of a piece of old burlap, and put several shiny objects in it and left it at the front door. And it was like a peace offering. And after that, they quit having troubles. So it, it was a very interesting uh, episode and makes a pretty good read. That's remarkable. And that's in Bigfoot Beyond the Footprints, just published. Mary, how do people get a copy of the book? It's available uh, through Amazon. Bigfoot Beyond the Footprints. You mentioned that some individuals are chosen by Bigfoot. They, they will communicate with them. What kind of person? What kind of person are Bigfoot willing to commune with and communicate with? The people that I've met who've had that kind of interaction have been people who are, they're not dumb, I don't mean that in any way whatsoever, but they live simple lives. Uh, they live close to the earth. They are farmers or they, uh, they do their own gardening. Uh, there was one man who uh, did an early retirement up here in the mountains because he had cancer and he had been in the military. And he got a piece of property uh, here in the mountains with a big steep mountain behind him that was so steep that there's no um, uh, civilization behind him. And one day he was hearing this noise and he looked outside and um, he could see the Bigfoot with a large heavy branch banging a tree. About a month later he heard um, splashing in the creek. Now there's no kids around where he lives um, because it's really off an old logging road. And then um, when he went toward it to find out what was going on, he heard this low kind of a growling grunt kind of sound. Uh, the next thing he saw was um, he had a light by his garage and at night he was on the porch overlooking this trail and he saw a Bigfoot family cross across the road. Uh, interesting aside, he saw this repeatedly. It was always the female first, then the male, and then the kids. Uh, this story evolved into a friendship with um, uh, the man and the male uh, Bigfoot, who he named Fred. And um, this man, because of his own battle with cancer, was organic uh, gardening, and uh, uh, eventually the Bigfoot would come down and uh, be with him when he was gardening. Uh, there would be telepathic type communication, and uh, the man would share um, some of his produce from the garden with the Bigfoot family. So it evolved into a friendship. The gal that I told you uh, the pony story with, or about, um, she again is someone who lives in the country and is um, kind of like a big lovable mother. Um, that's pretty typical of the people that I see that uh, are able to develop relationships with Bigfoot. Bigfoot that are in different regions of the country. So, for example, we have the skunk ape in Florida. We have the Sasquatch of the Pacific Northwest. We have a different uh, type in North Carolina, presumably. Do they have different character traits or are they all sort of gentle giants? 
I hear more of the, the violent stories out in the far west. Uh, there is a lot of variation between the Bigfoot that you might not expect. Um, some of them have, uh, typically they have uh, five digits just like humans do, but there are some that just have four. There are some that have six. Um, around here, I think the, the normal five is more common. Um, the six foot, um, or six fingers, six toes, I've gotten reports of that and photos, again, that I include in the book, uh, from the Olympic project out in, in Washington uh, with David Ellis, who I think is one of the co-founders of that organization. And they are uh, devoted to learning about Bigfoot in those particular mountains. The Bigfoot out there seem to be the biggest. We seem to be more in the area where most of the Bigfoot are uh, medium size. The smallest ones are in Florida. Um, but the you know the behaviors are somewhat similar. They can have different hair colors. They can have different skin colors. They can have different eye colors. Um, so to put them all in one category is is not correct. More of my conversation with Mary Joyce when Conspiracy Unlimited returns. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. The discovery of carbon-60 is likely to be the most amazing chemistry discovery of the late 20th century. And my friends at C60Evo.com are the world's number one manufacturer of C60. The safe, consumable form of pure C60 is called ESS60. And the mighty Aphrodite and I take a tablespoon every morning. ESS60 is the C60 formulation used in the famous 2012 original Paris study that showed ESS60 doubled the lifespan of rats. ESS60 from c60evo.com is raw C60 that's been produced, certified, and guaranteed for safe human consumption. ESS60 from c60evo.com is a powerful molecule that acts as a nano antioxidant to attract, stabilize, and neutralize free radicals. It's also known to have 172 times the antioxidant power of vitamin C, 172 times, which may be why people are feeling healthier on C60. All I know is the mighty Aphrodite and I are sleeping great and we're both pain-free. To get your bottle of ESS60, go to the episode notes for this podcast and click on the c60evo.com link. Use the code RS1SPEC to get 5% off. RS1SPEC and get 5% off. It's time to start taking responsibility for your health. Time to support your immune system. Join the mighty Aphrodite and I. If you want more energy, mental clarity, and a great night's sleep, ESS60 from C60Evo.com. Again, go to the episode notes and click on the C60Evo.com link and use the promo code RS1SPEC to get 5% off. If there's one thing money can't buy, it's sanity. <laughs> Conspiracy Unlimited. 
with Richard Serrett. Mary Joyce, the author of Bigfoot, Beyond the Footprints, is here, and we're talking about Bigfoot habits, their family and social life, and their language. Any evidence that they are tool users? Hmm. They're quite nimble with their fingers, and what's coming to mind at this moment is uh, around here you have to take your garbage to the dump. They don't come and pick it up. And one lady had hers um, tied up in a garbage bag on her back porch to take it to the dump the next morning. And when she went out there, the knot had been carefully untied. Now, um, no wild animal is going to do that. It's the same area where um, um, Bigfoot had been seen. And um, there's no, this house is isolated, so it's not very likely another human came along and dug through the woman's garbage. So they're very nimble with their hands. I don't get a whole lot of um, indications of tool use, but they seem to try to figure out our tools or our doors or, you know, how they can invade or how they can, I don't know. But you don't see a lot of stories about them using tools. And what about their shelters? Do they build nests or do they actually bend branches over and make lean-tos and, so, and, and such? Uh, both. Now, caves are not always an option. They are an option in this area. And one of the, um, the men that has lived here all of his life, he lives at the top of a mountain ridge. And he took me out one day to where um, uh, he knows the Bigfoot are. And we went up a, a single lane gravel road, got out of the car, and the cave was about a half mile away from the road. So I'm behind him. And he has a a machete because that's how thick the undergrowth is. And when we first started walking toward the cave area, we heard this whistle that didn't, it sounded like a bird, but not really like a bird. And then in the direction of the caves, there was an answer with the same kind of, I don't know, different kind of whistle. And after that, everything got silent. And I kind of feel like uh, one Bigfoot was warning the rest of them that there's some darn humans headed in their direction. We did, did see Bigfoot footprints at the same place that we heard the first whistle. Um, so the cave, the biggest cave that I saw on that particular venture was um, about five feet tall and about eight feet across. I got up close enough, I took pictures, I include them in the book. I was not brave enough to go into the cave. I don't blame you. I want to ask you about about the connection, possible connection between a Bigfoot and and UFOs. What are your thoughts on that? I have I don't know. I'm getting mixed signals myself. Um, the area where the Bigfoot are are the same place, area where we're seeing lots of big uh, UFOs and have since the beginning. And uh, that was the reason we started their website, which is skyshipsovercashers.com. Cashers is a town, a mountaintop town here in western North Carolina. Um, so we also have a, at least two known underground facilities in that area. Uh, we've seen, um, no, I haven't. Uh, there have been witnesses who have seen small UFOs go into a lake near one of the underground facilities. Uh, we've seen UFOs hover over that facility. Um, and probably a better answer to your question is um, there's a man in another part of the mountains um, who has Bigfoot living on his land. They moved onto his land after um, neighbors had their 
forest, you know, had it logged and the land was cleared. Um, and one night he heard them making a whole lot of noise, the Bigfoot, and he went out there uh, with his video camera and he saw the Bigfoot by the tree line looking up at the sky. And when he looked up, there was a, a gold-colored UFO uh, that was rotating above where the Bigfoot are. So there are indications there is a connection. People have many theories. Uh, some people um, believe that um, they were, the Bigfoot are like, um, I don't know, like workers on the ground for uh, entities in the UFOs. Uh, that, that could be true. Um, we have one story where um, a Bigfoot who was dying was just absolutely upset because he had been befriended by somebody, I believe, in the military, and then they implanted something into the Bigfoot. They uh, did things to diminish his um, uh, special abilities, and he was just not at all happy, and he expressed this to uh, a woman that he trusted uh, before he died. So the it's possible that the entities on the ships are using the Bigfoot, perhaps even against their will. I just want to touch briefly on a couple of other stories. And uh, one of those has to do with a whistleblower who had top secret security clearance. And he had reported that the coronavirus was created in a BSL-4 lab in Canada. This is something that's familiar uh, to many of my listeners. This was in Winnipeg, Manitoba. And the gentleman in question was then later visited by what he described as men in black or entities in black. Tell me about that. Okay, uh, the traditional story of men in black is they're dressed in black suits with a black hat, and they look like they're from... Uh, the, the 1950s as far as the style of food, uh, food, the style of clothing goes. And they're usually kind of robotic. And um, these men in black that uh, approached this whistleblower um, were also rather robotic uh, and very threatening, but they were dressed totally differently. They had on uh, black cargo pants, black t-shirt, uh, one, um, the male uh, had a T-shirt that had a True Harbor uh, Hardware logo on his shirt, and the other one had uh, a Manfred Mann logo on it. And the logos had an old look, but the shirts were brand new. Um, they they uh, had thinly disguised, uh, disguised threats uh, because he was saying too much. He asked them about where they were from, and they said something rather unusual. Uh, none of us have been able to figure out what that means, including the man that was threatened. Um, one of them said, we are the closet sunrise. And to this date, none of us have been able to figure out what that oh, means. Oh, I thought perhaps he said closest sunrise. Maybe I misread that. The closet uh, sunrise. I believe it's closet. Interesting. That is rather enigmatic and cryptic, isn't it? They were warning him to, to stop talking about it. Uh, and But where were those orders coming from? Um, that's not, that's not real clear because they are identifying that they're being, you know, that uh, this closet sunrise, uh, it leaves a lot of questions in all of our minds and I can't answer them for myself or for, for you guys either. I wish I could. That's when they left, they, they were in an old truck and, um, he went, he looked, they drove off from his property and then it just disappeared. 
So he, he was in a position where he would have been able to see if it, you know, where it went, but it just disappeared. Did they look human? They, uh, yes, but they look like, like robots. They're, you know, the men in black look human too, but there's this, this um, robotic look about them. They're, un, they're unemotional. They're, it's sometimes they talk like they're mechanically um, speaking memorized lines. Um, so there's something that's just not quite right with them. And he threatened them back, and there was no no response, correct? Right, right. Of course, I think he's a fool to have done that, but he did do it. I also want to talk about this line of UFOs that people are seeing. Uh, you, you seem to have cracked the uh, the case on that one. Um, the last couple weeks of April, um, we kept getting reports about people seeing this long line of UFOs. Um, one as close as Hendersonville, which is maybe... No, 45 minutes to an hour from where I live, and it, they said it was flying low. And at that time, I didn't know anything about it, but of course, my job is to jump in and start investigating. And what I found was that Elon Musk um, has come up with a new type of um, satellite uh, internet communication system, and he calls it Starlink. And um, on April 16th, or thereafter, they had launched 362 of what he calls mini satellites, and they are all in a line. And what's interesting is that that's not the end of his big plan because he plans to launch 60 more as often as every two weeks this year. And the goal is to have 12,000 of these uh, in the air before this year is over. Uh, and he even entertains the idea of later extending that number to 42,000. Um, this is not pleasing the astronomers around the world. And uh, a place down in Chile, um, we have a photo taken through their telescope, and it's you can see the diagonal lines going across their vision field, and it's um, part of this uh, uh, Starlink system of um, Elon Musk. Um, there's another picture that will be included again in this uh, posting we'll put up next week. Uh, and in this same picture that was taken in southern Brazil, you can see the Starlink uh, lines, and you can also see a meteorite, which gives you an idea of how bright um, these uh, satellites are. So these are in low orbit, and uh, the, they will be used to deliver Internet to... Any subscribers, I suppose. That 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 I don't know, but I would I would imagine that it's uh, delegated to particular customers. And and would they be delivering five G? Probably. That's kind of worrisome, isn't it? Uh, it it makes you wonder. And he applied for this um, application to do it, and it's uh, uh, he applied it as a non geostationary orbit satellite system. It obviously got approved. So um, uh, that was November 2016, and four years later, he's got at least 362 of those satellites in the air. Skyshipsovercashiers.com. Skyshipsovercashiers.com. And the new book is Bigfoot Beyond Footprints, which is available at Amazon. And um, I'm guessing, uh, um, is it also available on your website? 
Um, if people have any trouble getting it through Amazon, I will send out copies, and the way of contacting me is on the website. Uh, I, for the most part, have Amazon handle that. Mary, always a delight speaking with you. Thank you so much. You too. Okay, before I dim the lights in my little studio beneath the stairs, I'll be back in a flash to tell you a little bit about an upcoming episode. Some of you men are members of the Dollar Shave Club where you get your supply of razors in the mail. I always thought that was a great idea. Well, did you know there's also a soap club? The Hero Soap Company makes an amazing product that's delivered right to your house in a resealable pouch so you can take this soap with you on the road, camping, hiking, anywhere. Hero Soap is absolutely chemical-free. It contains no dyes or fragrances. Hey, did you know many mainstream soaps contain parabens, which have been linked to breast cancer and male reproductive issues, according to the FDA. And Hero Soap is owned by veterans. And some of the proceeds from the sale of this wonderful product goes to get homeless veterans off the street. So you can feel clean and refreshed and feel good about yourself knowing you're helping veterans. Use the hassle-free monthly auto ship to save an additional 10% off and never run out of soap again. To order your Hero Soap, go to the episode notes for this podcast and click on the Hero Soap link. You're going to love this soap. Your showers will never be the same. Hero Soap. Let freedom clean. Coming up next time on Conspiracy Unlimited, the life and times of America's most powerful and nefarious mason, Albert Pike. His beliefs were such that, especially towards the native Indians, they believed in equality, but he also believed the slavery, slavery in that it supported the economic side of the South, the agricultural side. So he must have been right from the very start, a very tormented individual. Until then, I'm Richard Serrett. So long for now. A new Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett drops every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at ConspiracyUnlimitedPodcast.com. Blow your mind. That is all for now. Oh, and remember to share and give a five-star review because we have huge egos and need love. We're like cats. We need... We need constant petting.